welcome in to the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Colin Martin, and I'm joined by a very special guest, one of the medical experts, um, Dr. Aloya Earl. Uh, I'm very honored to talk to her, very excited to talk to her about, um, you know, COVID-19, athletes, the path to, you know, return to play. Um, you know, but, but Dr. Earl, how are you doing? I'm glad you're on the show today. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. And and first, before we get into um, myocarditis and just everything that's, you know, um, going on right now in the sports world and, and medically, I kind of want to talk to you about a little bit briefly about your background um, because you have spent some time in Tuscaloosa. Um, you, you've been around the Alabama program before. You, spent, you did your res- residency at Ohio State. Um, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background? That's right. So I went to medical school at the University of Toledo, which is where I'm from or near where I'm from in Toledo, Ohio, and then um, wanted to do residency and fellowship training at two universities that had big athletic programs. So I chose to do my residency at Ohio State, and that was a three-year program followed by a one-year sports medicine fellowship at the University of Alabama and that fellowship, um, we were working with all the athletic, um, all the athletics of the university, but primarily focused on football for most of our time, um, as well as women's basketball and the track and field teams, swimming and diving and gymnastics. Hey, great. And, uh, and, you, and you, you did your fellowship at the University of Alabama, and you also specialize in sports medicine. Um, you know, real quick, when you when you got how how would you kind of summarize your time at the University of Alabama and in Tuscaloosa? So it was a one year experience, and basically it ran from July first um, to July first, and we were working in sports medicine um, clinic on campus, so just seeing general musculoskeletal type injuries, and then after we would get done with the day at the office, we would typically go to football practice in the evening. Um, and hang out in the training room and see any of the athletes who had any medical concerns from practice that day. Um, and then we were fortunate to be able to travel with the team to games and just kind of care for them on the sideline of games and in the locker room at halftime and for any post-game concerns that came up. So it was a really good, like, full um, immersion into the world of sports medicine um, at a wonderful football program like Alabama. Yeah, you got to work with one of the best in the business, Jeff Allen. Right. He's awesome. Him and his entire um, department that he runs um, with the medical staff there at Alabama is just really top-notch um, medical care for those athletes. And I'm sure, you know, on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen the new Sports Science Center that's just been built. Um, you know, uh, it, it's absolutely unreal, the technology um, and, you know, the science that's going forth and, and, you know, especially at the University of Alabama, and I know at Ohio State too, where, uh, you know, where you have a background in, um, but I know you've got your own place now at, uh, at you know, at Premier Health and you're in, in Ohio, correct? That's right. Yep. Dayton, Ohio. Um, so, you know, as we kind of just shift the conversation toward football, I know, you know, you're in the Big Ten area and I know the news yesterday was obviously a disappointment, um, you know, the, the cancellation of a fall season. And one of the reasons why, you know, that, that was reported why, you know, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, kind of shifted toward this and the school president was because of this heart condition, myocarditis, which is, you know, which is apparently linked to COVID-19 first, kind of, you know, you know, can I put it in simpler terms for us? First, what is myocarditis? 
So myocarditis basically means inflammation of the heart muscle. So the myo part of that means muscle. The card part of that means cardio or heart. And then itis is inflammation. And so after some sort of viral illness, and it can be the flu, it can be common cold viruses, and now we know also it's a novel coronavirus, sometimes that virus can affect the heart muscle and cause it to inflame. Um, and when it does, it can give a variety of different symptoms. So it can cause chest pain, it can cause um, trouble breathing, it can cause lightheadedness, and in the most severe cases, it can cause the heart to go into an arrhythmia, um, and that can uh, cause sudden cardiac death, especially with vigorous exercise. And, and so apparently there was some Big Ten athletes who had uh, recovered from COVID-19, and then they had got diagnosed with myocarditis. Now, it, now according to Alabama's uh, doctor, uh, director of sports science, Dr. Matt Rea, this is obviously nothing new, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's a thing that normally happens with viral infections, maybe like the flu, maybe like the common cold. Um, and, and I understand the panic, you know, from – I think anyone can understand, you know, the decision. If you look at that, well, we're dealing with a heart issue, right? Um, but, I mean, it, it, would you say myocarditis is really rare um, or, like, I mean, how, how, just, how prevalent really is it amongst, you know, cases, you know, in our country? So it's hard to say because with everything with the new coronavirus, the research is just not there yet. There's no long-term studies because it hasn't been around long-term, and there's no yeah. number of studies yet. So it's hard to say exactly what the prevalence is, um, especially, like, compared to a typical influenza, for example, um, the prevalence of a post-influenza myocarditis. But what's frustrating, um, I think, to most folks about the decision to um, either cancel or postpone the football season is the fact that myocarditis is a well-known after effect of viral infections and we have known about this and there are really good ways to screen for it and actually specifically to COVID-19 there was a publication at the beginning of June I believe June 19th is the date that it came out um, from the British Journal of Sports Medicine that talked about the risk of myocarditis specifically in the athlete population not only warned providers about this risk but gave very clear guidance on how to screen and test for it so that we could have safe sports. And then in July, on July 9th, there was another publication to guide us even further from the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, which is like a group that every team doctor belongs to. And so we've had this really clear guidance. We were really well prepared and ready to handle um, screening for myocarditis. And then it seems like just in the last, I guess, 72 hours, the media caught on and it just went crazy with, oh, what is this new concern? Um, but from the medical world, this is not new at all. So uh, this might be, this might not be the greatest way, but I'm just like, I'm just trying to wrap my head around because you are the first medical expert I, I, I've talked to on the subject and the first one we've had on here. But so, like, say these athletes have already been coming back to campus, and we know that the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, they're pushing forth the football season. So they're going to continue working out, training, you know, practices will start up soon. And I know at the Big 10 schools, I know they're going to, you know, still be allowed to train, things like that. But, um, you know, say they're just working out, and say they were to get a common cold, right, or maybe even the flu. And then later on, after they recover from that, they get myocarditis. With that, I mean, whether or not they get COVID, 
like the, the chances of them still getting that are still there with the flu or the common cold because it's it's not that COVID caused the myocarditis because um, it could have been caused by the common cold or the flu, correct? Exactly, yep. And I think that's another frustration too is like myocarditis has been around, it is around, and it's still going to be around in the spring. So if we're talking about having a spring football season, coronavirus isn't going to go away by the spring and the risk of having myocarditis after coronavirus isn't going to go away. And so I'm just really curious to know where that decision-making came from. And I would love to be a fly in the wall in those medical advisory conversations, because maybe there's something that we don't know about that swayed that decision. But if we're solely talking about myocarditis and, and the risks of athletes returning to play in general from a cardiopulmonary standpoint after COVID, I think that we're as well prepared as we could have been. So I don't know what the difference is going to be between now and the spring when it comes to clearing those post-COVID cases to go back to play. I think the protocols are going to be the same as they would have been if we were to start football tomorrow. And Cause, because, like, if, if they weren't testing, right, like if they were monitoring this, then these athletes would never know that they had myocarditis. And I understand, like, like, and, you know, even if they had the common cold and it found out later on, okay, they, they had myocarditis and it was, you know, maybe, a, maybe you know, very minute or maybe small case, like, that's a good thing they figured out. Because I feel like nowadays, Dr. Earl, especially, I mean, I'm just using Alabama as an example, um, the, the resources and the ability at most of these Power 5 programs to detect this information and detect these cases, I mean, it, it, it's better than it's ever been before. And so I don't understand why, you know, you have plans in place and then you're a conference like the Big Ten, you have, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, the resources to, to combat this, and then you just don't do it. I'm on the exact same page. I feel the same way. Um, it's interesting because if you think of the flu, for example, every year we have a flu season, we test athletes for the flu. We never screen for myocarditis prior to return to play. Like, we don't do an EKG unless there's some reason to believe that they could be at higher risk. So if they're having those symptoms or especially if they feel better from the flu and then they start to go back to, like, vigorous football activity and they start having chest pain or these sharp shooting pains in their chest or shortness of breath, it's on the top of our list of things to consider. We think about maybe they have fluid in their lungs, do a chest x-ray, Maybe they've got a myocarditis or a pericarditis, which is an inflammation of what's called the pericardium, which is like a lining around the heart. So those are really like the three things we'd be like, okay, let's check for these. But you're not screening prior to letting them go back to play if they're not having those concerning symptoms. So the fact that we were even planning on doing this pre-participation rescreen for it prior after, after a COVID test was positive prior to going back to football, was like overly cautious um, in my mind. Now, if myocarditis does turn out to be much more prevalent with COVID-19 than with other other viral infections, I understand the purpose of that screening. But that was there, like we were ready to do it and we're still not going back to football. So that's where I kind of don't understand the decision. And you mentioned, you know, you're obviously in Big Ten country and they're talking about a spring season. But my one of my first things is, you're you're bumping that into the middle, the heart of flu season, and if there's no like you know quick start vaccine, right? There's no like we don't know if that's going to be entirely effective yet. Um, then that that's going to cause a lot of issues even more. Right, and I just I don't know what we're going to what we expect to learn between now and January that's going to 
make football safer than we were already prepared for it to be, like I said. And it's not a resource issue. It's not a cost issue because an EKG, if we screened every COVID-positive athlete with an EKG prior to returning them, that's 50 bucks an athlete. That's a drop in the bucket for a Power 5 school. Even if we did an echocardiogram, which is like a heart ultrasound or a cardiac MRI and blood test, which are like even more specific ways to screen for myocarditis, that's still nothing from a cost perspective compared to what they're losing by canceling the season. And, and, and it, you know, it appears with the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC moving forward, and they're going to put the resources to adding a different layer of protocol to where they're going to have an EKG, where they're going to check this, and, you know, and monitor the heart issue. It seems like they're doing a good job on that end. Um, you know, my my whole thing is is, like, you know, whenever they do get back on the field, um, you know, what what do you think? Because there wasn't a spring, right? So whenever they get back on the field, what are going to be, you know, do you think we're going to see more injuries um, kind of shifting off from the heart issue? Do you think we're going to see more injuries, Dr. Earl? Because, you know, maybe maybe they have more of an acclimation period, I, I guess, now. But even in baseball right now, right, we're seeing a lot of arm injuries just because there was a short term. Um, but, like, when they get adjusted, you know, hitting each other in pads, what do you think, like, the level and the amount of injuries is going to be compared, you know, when you have a season that maybe starts later? Yeah, you know, I like that question a lot. I think it's something that's not being talked about quite enough or maybe it's not even being considered quite yet. Um, I do worry about that. My biggest concern, I would say, as far as um, getting back to a regular season is deconditioning and those type of injuries, those overuse injuries from being out of shape. Because even though they're working out um, and they're trying to keep some regular schedule and keep themselves conditioned, I cannot imagine being a student athlete right now trying to motivate yourself to go and do these workouts when the season is so nebulous and there's so much ambiguity about if and when am I even going to be able to compete again. And so while these athletes are like the most motivated of all the athletes, they're top-notch elite-level athletes, it's still got to be hard to get yourself to the gym, get yourself to these workouts when there's so much uncertainty circling the season. So I do worry about that deconditioning aspect of it. And apparently, according, I mean, the Big 12, they were talking about, you know, they were deciding, hey, we're going to go with a structure of a season and, and we're, you know, and we're going to have, you know, because if we didn't have a season, right, there's going to be um, the chances that these kids may get COVID, the chances of getting COVID are even higher. And also, too, like the mental aspect of it, right? Like the mental aspect of not having a season and what that does to a player and, the, like, you know, for an entire season, that's, that's going to hurt you more than, you know, rather than, you know, the known risk of what COVID is. Low, you know, and the chances of you not, you know, in, in monitoring and not allowing an outbreak, you know, the chances of that is better than, you know, what the negative effects were of not having a season. I agree. The psychological toll that these athletes are undergoing, even the coaches and staff, has just got to be exhausting. Um, And it's really also the feeling of being out of control. So you've got these people making these decisions. And in my opinion, there's a lack of transparency. It's like, okay, we know the season got postponed, but why? Like, why exactly? What was the rationale behind that decision? And what metrics do we need to meet in order to have a season? Like, what do we need to do better? What are we not providing either from a medical standpoint or a public health standpoint? So some transparency, I think, would help that feeling of being out of control because that's just going to lead to a lot of um, psychological exhaustion. Yeah, that was my next question for you. 
And because apparently the Pac-12 got some sombering information, Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, says, hey, we, you know, we've got the green light. And then the ACC chief medical officer from their COVID advisory board from Duke is saying, yeah, we're absolutely ready to go. What, why do you think you know, people in your field aren't kind of lining up on the same side like, and they're not coming to this. I mean, and I get it. You can have different doctors in the same room, and they'll have different opinions. But why do you – I mean, is it because everything has been so politicized? What do you think the issue is on why doctors aren't really aligning up? You know what? It's really interesting because even within the medical field – so I'm sports medicine. I'm not an infectious disease expert. Um, but among doctors of, like, every specialty, like friends that I've known or colleagues that I've talked to about coronavirus – there's so much differing, um, different opinions, and everybody has different information. And we're getting, like, truly the medical professional professionals are getting their um, information from the media and news sources. And even within that, there's mistrust. Like, if we're not giving our numbers and our data to the CDC anymore, well, the CDC was, like, our guiding light as a medical profession. And so... It's like, who do we trust? What do we listen to? And I think just that transparency issue, again, circling back to that, is the biggest reason that there's so much discrepancy between um, decision makers. And even people with the same medical background have completely different opinions on coronavirus and how to handle it. It seems, you know, from our conversation now that you that you ultimately do believe it is safe to play because there's already – I mean, if you're going to have football already – People, the players, the coaches, they already know the risk altogether. Um, you know, even that concussion, you know, the long-term effect there. But, I mean, but it seems like you're just overwhelming, you know, even looking at maybe some of the protocols that some of these schools have had, that you do believe it is ultimately safe to play. I do. I can't overstate enough um, a couple things. One, how um, strongly supported the student-athletes are by the medical staff at these Power 5 schools. They have team physicians they've got tremendous group of athletic trainers they usually all work with some sort of sports cardiologist or electrophysiologist um, as a consultant they have the very best medical care at these universities they are so well taken care of and then the other part of that is being in the environment of the football facility being checked every day being um called to make sure they're not getting symptoms being monitored the way that they are i think that they're just way more safe in that environment than they're going to be out in the community. I know Coach Saban echoed that. Several of the players have echoed that. They have an understanding of that, and they understand that um, the safest place for them to be is within their football program. One thing that just that just came to mind every year, it seems to me, Dr. Earl, is there's, you know, unfortunately, this is obviously unfortunate. No one wants this to happen, but, like, it seems like there's maybe every year one to two players who unfortunately passed away on the field, right? Like maybe it is like something to do with a heart issue, but sometimes it could be dehydration, like severe dehydration or even like a heat issue, right? Like um, I think of the incident in Maryland a few years ago, um, you know, not, you know, their, their protocols were not followed in that sense. But like this, this my, going back to the mitocarditis issue, you know, if, if the season does push on, push forward, I can't imagine – you know, just from the data that we do have already, but it's not being new, that that number of sudden cardiac deaths in athletes being much more than, you know, obviously we don't want anybody to die, of course, but if you already look at the numbers of college athletes on average, players who die every year, one to two, that that number from myocarditis being higher than that. Right. I agree with you, and I think that just with how cautious we're being, um, it's going to be – 
just very well screened for and monitored and keeping any high-risk patients at bay and keeping them out of play until they're, like, super cleared and they've been tested and they're asymptomatic and they've gone through X, Y, Z to get back. So I just think this season was ready to be, like, ultra-cautious. Um, I use the analogy a lot with concussions, but you can also talk about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is kind of the notorious pathology that causes the sudden cardiac death in athletes, um, or heat stroke, for example. So if you use these examples of things that are already high risk in football, we do things to prevent um, and catch these high risk um, diseases or processes. So we do screening EKGs often in their like pre-participation physical, just their routine sports physical to look for that hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. With concussion, once they're taken out of play, we do lots of different tests to make sure that they're safe to go back before we clear them. Um, with heat, we've got protocols in place. We practice, um, like athletic trainers and team physicians, practice emergency situations in case an athlete were to have signs of a heat illness. And so for me, coronavirus and everything that comes along with it was just another one of those things that we were ready to take on and we were ready to be prepared for. We have the infrastructure, the resources, and the staff to deal with things like that. And that's what we do in sports medicine. One more question before I get you out of here, Dr. Earl. Um, so when, so with the, the conferences that are moving on and playing football, you know, one of the biggest concerns is students coming back on campuses. And we've already seen a school like Notre Dame come back and say, hey, we tested, you know, the majority. We, we tested every student, and right now we've got like 99.7% negative, which is obviously really, really good. Mm-hmm. And just the athletic systems, the athletic training department is already at hand at these power five stars that you're talking about. You believe they're ready. You believe that they've got everything in place to handle this. They're monitored. Do you think that, you know, just playing a game on a Saturday for three hours, you know, whether it's traveling, they're already monitored. They're tested the day before the game. So the chances of them contracting the virus is already low. Um, don't you think that even when they're mingling already with these students on these campuses, that that's a higher chance? of getting the virus and just playing a game on, 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 a, on for three hours in a football stadium? Yes, I do. I I really do. I think that the protocols that universities are going to have in place, I think that most of the in-person classes are really going to be these lab courses where there's smaller numbers compared to a lecture hall. They're able to spread out. Um, every university has some sort of task force that they're kind of taking this virus head on, taking it very seriously and making sure students are safe. But there is a risk. I mean, anytime you're in big groups of people, um, there's going to be a risk of transmission because exposure is the only way to get coronavirus. And so I don't think that adding on football to the baseline risk that's already there is any is going to do any sort of significant um, have any significant impact on the numbers, especially given how often they're being tested. I think they're just, they're just being monitored more than anybody, um, and that's the safest place for them. There's no transmission of coronavirus through sweat. Um, of course, they're in close contact, and they're taking out their mouth guard and wiping their, you know, bit on their jersey, whatever. So there's the increased risk there, but it's all being monitored. Yes, well, well Dr. Earl, we, we really do appreciate you giving your insights and, you know, just kind of divulging into what myocarditis is and just kind of the effects it has on athletes. And, you know, moving forward, how can sports return? And I know I know for you up in Ohio, I know it's probably not going to be the greatest fall with, with no Ohio State, no Big Ten schools. But at least at least you'll be able to watch 
the SEC, potentially ACC and Big 12 uh, on, on TV. I hope so. Roll tight. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, thank you again, and, and we look forward to, you know, just we look forward to seeing what happens. So, you know, it, it's 2020, things change. But thank you again. And for Dr. Loya Earl, I'm Tyler Martin, and this has been the All Things Bama Podcast.